Welcome to the Run Fit 365 podcast. Booyah! Welcome back to the Run Fit 365 podcast. This is Travis Lozier, and we have Coach Dan Kusin back with us today. Hey, Dan, how's it going? Hey, good. How are you? Hey, life is good. Life is good. Um, we've got a great show lined up. You want to talk a little bit about um, running form, most um, prominently hill strike and foot strike, and um, you know what's the proper technique and biomechanics of running um and i'm looking forward to hearing your thoughts and philosophy on that when um you mentioned that you were going to bring that up i don't think you and i have ever connected on that so um that should be a good session and of course we're going to do the random runners world um i think you're batting like two for two so my my objective today is um i'm going to do my best to find like the oldest um runner's world and just hope it gets to an article that I can stump you with. How does that no, sound? No, no. <laughs> it'll happen whether it's now or another time it'll happen. Yeah. Perfect. 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 Um, all right. So, um, I think by now everyone knows you're the, like the brains of run fit 365. So I'm going to just kind of let you kick this section off around running form and I'll interject and ask questions along the way. So, um, go ahead and talk about, you know, foot strike and why that's important, Dan. Yeah, sure. So, um, yet another controversial topic. Um, I think you'll find coaches and and experts in the field really, um, talk about the various ways. And and really, again, there's, there's real no quote unquote wrong way. Uh, heels, I'm sorry, terms you might hear are, uh, like heel striking, um, landing on your forefoot, landing on your midfoot. Uh, basically, there's there's all kinds of positions and landing positions that you can um, be in when you're a runner. Uh, the goal really is to reduce your risk of injury and increase your efficiency. So what I wanted to talk about was um, sort of my philosophy, and again, no right or wrong way. In fact, if you're not getting injuries, um, I would suggest you don't change anything because typically when you do try to change um, to uh, something that's more towards the, the front of your foot, it can cause uh, new injuries. So, you know, if, if you're having a lot of issues, it might be something to consider. If you're not having any issues, there are plenty of runners out there that um, are heel strikers, uh, and, and I'll explain that in just a minute. So and they're great runners and and they don't have any problems. So, um, what I tend to do is think in terms of, of hill running or walking even, um, you have somebody that's a a prominent heel striker and a lot of people are heel strikers. And what that means is when you run, the first thing that hits the ground is your heel, like not just, you know, the, the back of your foot, it's that your heel is really driving into the ground. And then you roll onto the the middle of your foot, sort of in the middle of your stride, and then um, you come through the the front of your foot. Um, There's some issues with that. And and let me just kind of talk through uh, the hill scenario. So picture yourself walking down a hill or jogging down a hill, running down a hill. 
your instinct is one to lean back um, because you know you're trying to slow yourself down, um, and you actually are braking. You are hitting that heel under the the hill. Um, you are slowing yourself. That's the whole idea of going downhill. Uh, instead of using gravity and going down the hill naturally, you're trying to slow yourself down. So your heel drives into the ground, and what that causes is a pretty inefficient stride. Um, and I know we're talking about just walking or running down a hill, but a lot of runners, when you're a heel striker, um, that's essentially what you're doing. You're leaning a little bit too far back. You're driving the heel of your foot into the ground. And um, basically what you're doing is you're working against gravity. You're working against um, your last uh, stride. So you've propelled yourself forward and you've instantly started to break by, by hitting your heel on the ground. And maybe more importantly, uh, it can cause a risk of injury because essentially, you know, think about your, your uh, you know, the song, your you know, foot is connected to your knee bone, all that stuff. When you hit your heel, that's connected right to your lower leg bone, which is connected right to your knee, which is connected right to your femur, your bone, your hips, your spine, your neck. And so a lot of runners complain of knee pain, hip pain, back pain, neck pain and heel pain and foot pain, et cetera. Um, a lot of that can be attributed to um, being a heel striker. So there's a, there's a lot of reason to, to take a look at how you hit the ground and make sure that it's, um, you know, the right, well, something that works for you. So taking the opposite, let's, let's talk about going up a hill. So you're walking up a hill, you're running up a hill, whatever. The natural tendency is that you lean forward, right? Because you're, for some reason, we're walking up a hill. We get lazy. We lean forward because we want to use gravity, and so that that helps us go forward. And it's nearly impossible to to strike the ground with your heel first if you're walking or running up the hill, and that's because you're forcing your foot to be underneath your hips, which is where it belongs. When you strike the ground. Your foot should really be right underneath your, your hips. So uh, if you're walking up a hill, running up a hill, um, that's, that's a good feeling. Um, that's what it should feel like, in my opinion, when you run even on a flat surface because you're essentially using the front of your foot to um, absorb some of the impact. Your Achilles tendon um, absorbs some of that. It also helps propel you. Um, a lot of books you read talk about sort of the rubber band effect. Um, if you use your uh, tendons correctly, your soft tissues, and land in the right place, then um, you can essentially become a more efficient runner. So you don't hit the, the ground through heel. You're not braking. Um, you're, you're hitting it underneath your hips, which is uh, more efficient. You're not um, having to propel yourself up against gravity. You are not um, hitting the ground through heel, um, causing all that impact uh, all the jar that jarring all the way up to your neck. So it's absorbing the impact and, and becomes very efficient. In fact, um, I've been running like this for quite some time. Um, it was suggested to me, I read a book and I, I, I meant to write that down before we, we did this and I can uh, post it or something. Um, but essentially it, it may feel like when you start doing this, that you're running downhill, that feeling of running downhill and that's because if you're if you're running like uh, like all this is intended to, to feel like, it does kind of feel like you're running downhill. You're using gravity to propel yourself, 
and it really shouldn't be as much effort as if uh, you know if you're a heel striker you're, you're likely using a whole lot more of your uh, muscles to, to move yourself forward versus um, saving it for you know a long run or something um, so I think kind of in short the the hills how, how it feels to walk or run up a hill if you can apply that feeling um, to even flat running and all that uh, to just your normal running it can be a very uh, good way to go but I again I want to warn um, if you're not getting injured uh, especially if you do this too quickly you can injure yourself um, in other ways you can get uh, Achilles tendonitis um, and get other uh, tendonitis within uh, soft tissues throughout your your joints and your lower legs so um, be careful to do that I think the book that I read that that walks you through kind of um, doing it incrementally is something like um, a beginner's guide or a triathlon triathlete's, triathlete's guide to running or, or something like that. Um, it's it's way better than just it, it's not just focused to triathletes. Actually, good for all runners. Um, and once I get that, I'll I'll bring that back to the podcast. But uh, really good stuff. And just to, when I started running like that, um, just just because. When you start changing your form, um, and you're, let's say you're a heart rate guy, you like to um, follow your heart rates. What I will say is, when you change your form, it can affect your um, your heart rate. So, you know, if you're running a nine-minute mile and your heart rate is 140, and you change form, and you're running slower than that, and it's uh, heart rate's higher than that, it can change that. And so the number one rule really is um, focus on your form first and then let the rest follow. Um, and so uh, that one example. And then um, when I got really good at it, I, we go to the Smoky Mountains every year. And uh, we had uh, my brother-in-law went with us or my, my in-laws, uh, not my in-laws, my sister, my brother-in-law, my parents. And uh, th there's a lot of hills there. There's one trail that's paved and it kind of goes to a waterfall. It's like 1.3 miles. And I'd been running like that um, with a, a sort of the front of the foot, um, midfoot or forefoot, uh, or my, my foot uh, struck the ground. And he hadn't been doing that. Now, he, I think I've said before, he's a very natural athlete, um, very good. And uh, But it kind of caught him off guard because we ran that. We ran the 1.3 miles, and it had a very uh, – pretty significant elevation to it and it felt so easy to me because I'd already been running downhill I'd already been incorporating that into my uh, stride and for like maybe the first time ever I I felt like it was no big deal at all to run up that hill and, and he was a little bit winded so um, it, it can make you a more efficient runner as well yeah that's great Dan and last weekend they were showing the New York City Marathon I believe it was on ESPN2, and one of the things, um, if you watch any of these elite runners that are in the, the lead packs of these top marathons, it almost looks like um, they're, they're not running on their toes, but they're definitely hitting you know right at the ball of their foot and just bouncing off of the pavement, opposed to um, when you look at some of my most recent race photos, the first thing you can tell is my foot, the, the first thing that's going to hit the ground is the heel, and that's um, conceptually, it's so fundamental that you know if your heel hits the ground, the, the first response is it's you know slowing your momentum down, 
Um, and I think that there's probably, you said it multiple times, transitioning from, you know, that heel to, to mid to upper foot strike takes time and balance. Um, do you have any other kind of recommendations or coaching other than just be really patient with your training and um, do it gradually over time that may help people like me that um, right now I'm all about hill striking? <laughs> <laughs> well, definitely uh, go slow. I mean, don't don't try to force it because that's when you get injured. But the other thing I'll say is um, when I first started doing this, it felt like I was running on my toes. Now, granted, I wasn't. And then I recorded myself, and it did look like in my, my heel stride or in my uh, stride in the video, like I was going to hit my, my heel first, even though it felt like I was completely forefoot. Mm -hmm. Um so I think a video can be a little bit deceiving. Um, if you feel your, yourself hitting the heel, then you probably are. But a lot of times, like when I was recording myself, um, it looked like I was going to hit my, my heel. And then it was really just my shoe kind of touching the ground. And then I was really landing more midfoot underneath my hip. So, um, you know, if you record yourself to say, hey, am I a, a hip uh, – sorry, not a hip runner, a uh, heel runner um, – just be cognizant of, of it can look a little bit different on video than how you feel. I, I would try and, and more do it by feel um, and kind of feel where your uh, foot is hitting the ground. The other thing is um, you can you can get – I'm not like a, a minimalist uh, in terms of shoes. I've never tried any of those. Not against it, not for it. But certainly there's lots of shoes that um, are lower profile in nature, and that can also help because – the, the shoe companies really design shoes to, to cushion, and they put a lot of cushion in the heel specifically because a lot of people are heel strikers. Unfortunately, what that does is it, it makes such a bulk in the back of the shoe that you almost have no choice but to hit your heel first. Now, granted, you're a little bit more cushioned, but even that cushion on your heel doesn't help your knee and doesn't help your hip. You're still putting all that impact right up your, your bone structure. So if you can get a, a lower profile shoe, meaning a, the heel is a little bit lower or, or um, not quite as tall on the back, that can help you sort of force you to get to the, the midfoot um, and even to the forefoot. That's great. Well, one of the things that we used to do in college um, is, you know, a coach would say, take your shoes off and we would just do strides barefooted um, in the football field to see what he wanted us to feel is just that natural kind of um, biomechanics of your foot hitting the ground and making sure that we're um, hitting on the balls of our feet because if, you, if you're running barefooted and you hit the you know your heel first you really feel that kind of um, impact more so obviously than you do if you have you know cushioned shoes on so oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know, that was something that still stuck to me um, today that, you know, getting that natural feel um, for running just on grass. And I know, you, you know, there's this whole kind of movement or there's been a movement to this minimalist running. And I think it's been popularized by the book Born to Run and um, kind of, you, you know, different philosophies on, on running. But um, I know several people that have been injured by essentially running in um, very minimalist shoes. Um, so I know there's caution there. But what are your thoughts on on that, Dan? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, 
it, what I, I did, uh, well, I'm not a reader. I did listen to the book on tape. I shouldn't say that. Yeah. And I recorded a video. But I, I you know, I, I really enjoyed the story. Um, and it actually is very inspiring. You know, you think, I want to go out and try that. And I, I wouldn't say it's, you know, I, I don't want to say it's a good thing or a bad thing because I honestly don't have a, a major opinion on that. But what I will say is if you look back um, historically, um, the shoe – like in that in the the story born to run the shoe is still a very new invention in our um, in our uh, sort of history mm-hmm. and so it's how do you argue with um, millions of years of of really bare feet running or, or barely anything on your feet running and in, in fact if you if you and I wouldn't go outside and try this barefoot because probably get injured you know our yes. our feet are so sensitive but um, if you're running the grass or running your carpet, um, you actually feel a couple of things. I, I do think when I've tried it, you're, you're not hitting the ground as hard. And I, I can't explain why. Like when I put shoes on, no matter how hard I try not to hit the ground hard, I hit the ground hard. And when you're running with bare foot, like with bare feet, it there's something about it that your body just naturally hits the ground very lightly. And that's really uh, one of the key aspects of why I think um, minimalist running has been so popular is because uh, the theory is you're putting a lot less stress in your joints. Now, there's other issues with it as well, and I I don't know all of that, but um, I I will say there is something to uh, more of a natural running movement, um, you know, because that's kind of what we've done for millions of years i guess the other only thing you could do is um you know not just where your foot strikes but uh kind of how what level of pronation you have and uh again i'm not a a shoe person i'm, I'm not like an expert in shoes there's plenty of stores out there that'll uh, be able to to look at your gait and, and figure out what the best shoe for you is but one of the things you can do um you know there's different types of shoes out there stability neutral things like that. And, uh, <clears throat> essentially you can take a look at your shoe, like a, a pair of shoes that you run in or a pair of shoes that you, you wear a lot and kind of look at the wear and tear and, um, kind of figure out, you know, do I have the right shoes? If you have a, a pair of neutral shoes, which is sort of just a neutral position, uh, which is really meant for a normal arch or a, a person that has normal pronation, um, then that's that's okay, but if you overpronate or you underpronate and you have a pair of neutral shoes, that can also cause you injury, and it can actually cause you to to hit your uh, your heel or, or another aspect of your foot. When um, so the issue might be something other than your foot strike causing the foot strike to be your heel. Very good, very good. So what are the key takeaways, Dan, in regards to kind of foot strike that you want our listeners to know? Yeah, so I think. Um, Number number one, absolutely number one. If you're not getting injured, um, don't don't go out and, and say Dan said, you know, I got to change my foot strike. That's not at all what I'm saying. I'm saying, um, you know, it's 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 something you can can consider and and read up on and see if it's for you. Um, number two, uh, when you are running midfoots or forefoot, um, it it feels like you're running uphill. So think about running down a hill um, could be a bad thing. Now, if you're if you're running on a flat piece of land, it feels like uh, you would when you're running downhill. That might be a bad thing, um, and maybe apply what it feels like to run up a hill. Um, 
and really just focus on uh, what are the things that can keep you injury free and uh, increase your efficiency so you're not working against yourself. Very good. And I totally agree with the injury free thing because one of the things, um, if you're listening to this podcast, you're a runner, obviously, or you know, at least getting into the sport, but one of the things that you'll just observe at any marathon or half marathon or even five or 10K is that there are so many different running forms and running styles. And you may find yourself saying, how, you know, how are they running so fast with that type of form? And um, Dan, to your point, the bottom line is if it works for you, if your biomechanics are set that way and um, you're running and training injury free, um, you know, that's what it's all about, right? Oh, oh yeah. I mean, there's, I can't remember, and, and maybe the, the statistic isn't accurate in that book, Born to Run, but <clears throat> I think if they say something like 80% of runners have an injury every year or something like that, yeah. um, it's something ridiculously high. And um, I've honestly, I mean, besides a knee injury here and there, I've not had a lot of injuries. But what I will say is um, I did have a fair not, uh, amount of knee pain when I before I changed my uh, running to be more forefoot. And I really, outside of doing something stupid, not related to running, uh, which has injured my knee recently, um, the were, running were, part were, doesn't Were you hurt. on a bike or swimming? Were you doing that triathlon thing by any chance? <laughs> no, I, I usually do pretty good with that stuff too in terms of injury. I, I think what I was doing is moving something. Oh, gotcha. And just not being smart about it. You know, that happens. So yeah, I don't know. There's there's lots to think about when with running and just like any sport. If if any of you are golfers, um, if if you think about, I, I can't sw- I can't sway my shoulders. I can't move my head. I gotta keep the the driver at this degree. And if you focus on everything at the same time, you're not gonna hit the ball straight um, unless you get lucky. Same thing with running or any other sport. Um, hone in on the things that uh, are important first, which to me are things that reduce your risk of injury first and then uh, make you more efficient and then uh, work on the next one after that. Yeah. And thanks for just describing my golf game. It's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Mine too. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, Dan, thanks again for a great segment there. Um, I always learn something new from you. Um, but my mission today, as I pull out this random runner's world, um, is I'm going to do my best to stump you. All right. <laughs> um, just don't make me look stupid. No, I wouldn't do that at least intentionally. Um, <laughs> so, it, and speaking of looking stupid, I've got this magazine. I cannot find the date. <laughs> uh, this, this, okay, here we go. This is an older one. This is December of, um, 2011. And on the cover, it's, um, you know, fit for real. And it's talking about losing weight, get in shape, run faster and change your life. So um, I'm going to flip open here. And I'm, what page is this? Uh, Of course, I flipped to a page that there's no page number. Thank you, (laughs) Runner's World. I'm going to go back a page, 34, 35. We're on 36. And this is the, um, it's the section called Personal Best, the Fast Lane. Um, and, and this is that section where they talk about training advice for peak performance. Sometimes they profile elite athletes and sometimes it's just uh, Q&A. This is more about, um, the title of the article is CSI Runner, Spot Your Training Crimes to Avoid a Racing Disaster. 
So um, I'm going to read a couple of these. It looks like it's um, kind of broken down into segments here. And Dan, I'll let you kind of pick maybe which one you want to look at. Um, but the crime, you know, it's kind of broke out. It says the crime is going out too fast. Mm -hmm. The crime is running too hard, too close to race day. The crime is doing too much too soon. The crime is doing, uh, going too hard too often. The crime is going uh, too fast too soon. And then the article kind of breaks down these segments into how to discover it and then um, maybe how to prevent that. So, um, and those are all good. Yeah. Those are all really good topics. Um, I think uh, the one, you know, I could talk to probably a few of them, but the one that really resonates with me is the same thing I do with every single race I ever do mm -hmm. is go out too fast. Yeah. You and me both. I pay for it. And, and unlike you, I paid for it and I, I keep paying for it. And I end up, um, several, uh, here's a good example. Um, I've done the, the Indianapolis 500 mini marathon, you know, many, a handful of times anyways. And that the, the streets that it starts off on, you know, everybody's there's 40,000 people or something. And there's just not a lot of room. And, and no matter where you get lined up in the, I don't know, the, what I call the cow pens, you know, where they're all just stuffed in there, all the people are stuffed in there. No matter how you get signed up, there's always people. I, I swear there's people walking in front of me at the end of the, the thing. I don't know. There's always people going slower than you. And so the first mile or so, now you don't have to deal with this because you're always in the front, but I'm telling you in the back, like in, in M or, or N where I start, um, that first mile is running in and out and up and down all over the, the place trying to get around people. And I, I expend so much energy um, going a little extra fast because I feel like I need to make up time. In reality, all that's doing is, is using up a whole lot of valuable energy that I previously stored up. And um, putting myself in, in training or in zones that I have no business being in in the first mile of a half marathon. And uh, it wastes all the energy. So by the time mile two comes, I'm already starting to slow down. And so I end up not hitting my pace and, and not doing as well for the entire thing. That's probably a very consistent thing for a lot of uh, probably people that just don't have the experience of pacing yourself. And I think probably the best advice I could give somebody is start off slow, even if that means you have to make up some time later um, and, and make it feel like slow because um, the first mile, I even if it's a clear road and I'm going down and I feel really good and I look at my watch you know, at that first mile marker and maybe I'm 30 seconds ahead and I feel pretty good about that, I'm, I'm going to pay for that later. So just kind of go out there slow and take your time. Yeah. I think I probably ran a negative split, um, either half marathon or marathon once. And, and that was probably just by accident, but <laughs> you know, you described probably 90% of all of us. If you're a runner, you've experienced what you just described because it's so easy when that gun goes off and you're there with hundreds, maybe even thousands of people and the adrenaline and you, yeah. you know all the thoughts going through your mind your preparation your training it all kind of comes together as soon as they say go 
and you know you're not alive and breathing if you don't feel excited and you know you want to get out there and go but 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 there is kind of this art to balancing that energy at least early on in your races because when I've had success with that somehow I've been able to get out of the gates um, make it through the corrals and settle into a pace within the first mile um, because I think that's your kind of your window there. If you don't, you know, get settled into that, you you almost get into this pace, and it's almost like a stride lock where you're, you know, got this cadence and rhythm going out that you almost feel like you don't want to slow down at that point, and then that's where you find yourself at the halfway point of a race that you're maybe ten to fifteen to twenty seconds uh, per mile ahead of your goal goal pace, and. Um, you know, it would be great if you could finish that out, but typically that means that, you know, you're going to pay for that towards the end of the race. So it speaks a lot to the mental aspect of, of racing and training. And, uh, as you were talking through that, it reminded me, um, of a book that I read. I think Bobby McGee, um, I think I've mentioned he's, he did some of the the USA triathlon training. He did the mental aspect of, of the training, or the coaching. And, uh, he's got a book called magical running. I've got it. Um, and I've read through it and I, I need to reread it again and maybe I can talk to it on a podcast, but essentially, um, it talks a lot about, again, it, it might feel a little bit like fluff, but the, the mental aspect of training and racing is really what separates the, the Kenyans and people that cross the, the finish line first to the rest of the crowd. There's other aspects to, you know, the way they train their, um, their genetics, that sort of a thing. But, um, you can take two people that are pretty closely matched up and whoever has the better mental edge is the one that's going to eke out. in the end. so, um, they, he talks about in that book and I, I don't want to probably, uh, quote it wrong, but essentially, um, if you're in the right state of mind when you start a race, if you're thinking about the things you're supposed to and then from a mental aspect, you're less likely to jump out there and, and let the adrenaline and let the, you know, the, the race day sort of uh, nerves get to you um, and allows you to focus a little bit better. So that, that might be something that um, you can look into to help sort of prevent that versus just making a conscious effort. Um, understanding what is mentally, uh, what the focus should be so that you don't go and do it. Yeah. Not to put you on the spot, Dan, but maybe episode six, we can talk about that. We, um, we used to practice that visualization, um, in college as well. And, um, it's as simple as finding and dedicated some time. And, um, I, I found it to be quite relaxing as well, you know, trying to visualize, um, all aspects of the race, what it feels like in the, you know, starting corral, what it feels like in the first mile, what you're, you know, where you should be on your watch and the timing and all of that. Um, it's almost like a dry run in your mind of what to expect on race day. Um, so, so maybe in episode six or a future episode, um, we can drill into that a little bit. And, and I know, um, Alyssa's been on a couple of our podcasts, but she's a big believer in that. And they did you know, she's done that a lot. Um, so maybe we can pull yeah. her into some of that for a discussion too. Here, here's what the, the rest of the article kind of went on to say. It says, you know, the crime was getting out too fast, discover it 
you know you made this common mistake if your marathon splits are more than 15 to 20 seconds per mile slower in the second half or your 5k 10k or half marathon splits are more than 5 to 10 seconds per mile slower in the second half and here's where it's you know kind of breaks it down into don't don't commit um, practice goal pace runs up to half of the event distance so if you're running, you know, training for a marathon up to a half marathon, on race day, run the first mile easy and dial into your target pace in the second mile. So really almost lockstep down with what you were talking about there in regards to, um, you know, trying to rein in that adrenaline within the first couple miles there and really lock into your goal pace. And I also like that. You know, your training runs, getting in, you know, in that rhythm of um, what's your race pace going to be that day and getting used to running that for at least half the distance. Mm-hmm. So, well, it doesn't look like I stumped you on this one. Um, <laughs> but, uh, it, it, again, thanks, Dan, for that good dialogue. Um, uh, maybe just three times I got lucky. Next time will be a, a bad one. You know, like next time, I think I'm gonna grab like a People magazine and just <laughs> pull a pop culture, uh, random pop culture question on it. Well, you know, I, you you talked about podcast six being uh, something focused on the mental aspect. I better start reading now. That's one of the things that is hardest for me to understand and really dial in and even coach people on. So I shouldn't have told you that. But if it has anything to do with mental the mental aspect of things, I, I may not be able to wing myself through it. Oh, that's perfect. Um, well, we're going to stump you on that then. Next podcast, <laughs> episode six. Uh, stay tuned. Um, Dan, thanks again. If you're listening to the podcast, um, please feel free to you know drop us an email at support at runfit365. If you got a question for Dan or if you have a question for me, if you'd like to be on the show, if you'd like to be featured, um, please just let us know. We're happy to um, answer questions on the podcast or even um, get you in for an interview. So, um, Dan, thanks again. Um, I'm going to drop off of this so you can start preparing for episode <laughs> six where we'll be talking about visual <laughs> visualization and um, mentally preparing for your races. So, um, Dan, thanks again. Any closing remarks? Uh, nope, just... Uh mentally prepare for your race and we'll talk about that next time all right and you mentally prepare for the podcast and in the meantime (laughs) happy training